Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. All right, awesome. So the beginning of this series. So Christmas from Heaven's Perspective is a series in which um, I hope that we'll see the creator, the, the craftsman, to see what he had in mind all along when he created us. Uh, in December, we typically talk about the events surrounding the birth of Christ from a variety of viewpoints. Uh, over the years, we've looked at, at the biblical perspective from, from the account of the eyes of Joseph, or, or you probably heard it through the, through the eyes of Mary. You may have even heard it through the eyes of the wise men. And, and I've even heard that, that some people have done through the eyes of the innkeeper, even though we technically don't know that there was an innkeeper. We know that there was no room at the inn, so we assume there was a guy working the front desk that said, no room. But I've even heard that from the, from the Christmas perspective told from there, but, but, um, we hear from all these different perspectives, but this year we're going to peel back the curtain in heaven and take a peek at what was happening from heaven's perspective, right? From heaven's perspective. And so if God had a workshop in heaven, I guess the question is, why would he create or handcraft a world that would require him to send his one and only son to come and to die on its behalf? I want to invite you to join me in this journey as we discover all the meaning wrapped up into this little baby known as Jesus during this time of year. You know, it would be impossible for Mary and for Joseph or the shepherds to understand all the implications of God becoming flesh and entering through the doorway of a stable. So why did Jesus come? Who is he? And what does he offer? And this is what we're going to explore over the next couple of weeks. And there's a book in the New Testament that answers all of these questions. It's in Colossians, and uh, that's where we're going to camp out and hang out this next month. We're going to be exploring some verses there in Colossians. And, and since we're going to be looking into Colossians, I think a little bit of a history lesson is due because the, these, these letters or these, the books of the Bible in the New Testament are letters that were written from some of the disciples to specific churches or to some of their, their, um, their young in the faith. So like Paul to Timothy, to, he was a, that was one of his disciples. He's writing to him. And so these are all letters and they're written with a very specific purpose to a very specific group of people, more specifically to a church in that area. And oftentimes the letters, if they were dealing with, with a sin issue that was there or some sexual immorality or if they were dealing with some cultural issues, then then just know that that was not like a broad letter that everybody got. It was written specifically to a group of people. And so uh, it's important to understand who the Colossians were, what the city of Colossae was all about. And so uh, you, need, you need to understand that, uh, that, that the people of Colossae were really struggling with why Jesus had come. Colossae was an affluent place. It was, it was full of wealth, and the, the cities around it were full of wealth. And what can typically happen... Uh, when, when affluence is, is around, it can breed an inclination to believe that people are motivated purely by self-interest or skepticism, or this is called cynicism. That's the big word for it, right? And when they come to find out that money doesn't bring true joy, they begin to craft their own belief system together. And this is what was happening in this time. And this letter would have been written. There were two groups of people in Colossae that were trying to invade the Christian church with their different beliefs and their ideas and trying to influence the people there. They were known as the Gnostics and the Judaizers, excuse me. 
the Gnostics believed that our flesh is evil, right? They said that anything having to do with the flesh or anything that we could touch was evil, but the spirit was good. And so the Gnostics were the ones who sought to upgrade biblical truths with cultural trends of the time. And so they tried to make it more supernatural than natural. They tried to take the gospel and make it this way. They tried to make it more heavenly than earthly. They tried to make it more spiritual and less physical. And so the other group is the Judaizers, and they wanted to return people to the law, to the Mosaic law, right? They, they accepted the grace of Christ. They accepted that he was the Messiah, but they wanted to turn people back to following the, the, the law that Moses had given them. They said that, that essentially that Jesus plus the law equaled, uh, equaled in, entrance into heaven, equaled salvation. And that's simply not true. Good behavior, rule-keeping, and their own pet list of rules is what they wanted to follow. And so they came in and are trying to influence Christians into believing that, hey, you've got Jesus, that's great, but you need to follow the law or you don't have the full picture. And, and essentially, when you become a Christian, you know, you're not handed a Bible and a code of ethics and a list of things that you must or do or don't do. Right? That's not what happens. What you are given, the moment that you confess Christ, is the Spirit of God. You are given the Holy Spirit to live within you who will transform your old nature and enable you to live according to God's will. And of course, that lines up with much that is written in the Bible. And so when we look in the Bible, it confirms what's already in our heart and what the Holy Spirit is leading us to do and how he is leading us to live. But the Judaizers put more emphasis on the rules than they did the Spirit. And so they were trying to remove the Spirit. And the setting in Colossae to which Paul writes this letter is one with much Greek philosophy that also surrounds it. And of course, it's this smorgasbord of beliefs. Uh, as they would subtract and add to the gospel message. And the result was people who denied the deity of Jesus. In other words, Jesus being fully man, but also being fully God, which is a great mystery in and of itself, and it's not something we're necessarily going to talk about today. But he was fully God and fully man. And so all of their beliefs that are surrounding him, all the things that are trying to influence them, is removing the idea that he was that. And because they reasoned with the Gnostics, since he came in the flesh, he must be evil, right? He couldn't be from God. And so many heard the Christmas story, and they doubted it. They doubted it because they couldn't understand God coming in the flesh. But we believe that, right? We believe that Jesus came in the flesh into an evil world and was tempted in all points, just like we are, and yet he lived a life that was without sin. The Judaizers emphasized rituals and religion, and their skewed beliefs will eventually morally bankrupt the integrity of a church. And today, just like the people of Colossae, there are many people who are floundering, right? They are searching for something. They are searching for meaning. They are searching to find their place in this world, looking for a reason, roaming through the night to find their place in this world. Those of you who get the reference, it's a Michael W. Smith song. I'm sorry. I won't even try to sing it. I've lost my voice this week. I'm sure it would be entertaining for you. But they're ultimately they're trying to find the ultimate meaning in life, right? So they turn to psychics. They turn to, to the stars. They turn to astrology. They turn to their horoscopes. They turn to people looking for an answer, looking for meaning, some kind of direction. But Jesus alone offers joy and fulfillment. Amen? Your life is not a meaningless journey to nowhere. Just as every thread in a tapestry has a function, so God has a plan and a purpose for your life. He wants to fulfill you, and he plans to begin with your turning your life over to Jesus Christ, because that is where all of that begins. And only Jesus offers us salvation based on his work and not ours. 
right? Only Jesus says, says, you know, there have been other religious leaders who have died as martyrs, but Jesus is the only one who died a substitutionary death on our behalf. And so look, when we, when we chase after any belief that has Jesus plus something or something minus Jesus, we are pursuing a form of religion. And religion spells salvation D-O. That's do. There are things you have to do. You have to do this. You have to do that. You don't do this. You don't do that. And that is how you obtain salvation. It's a list of rules. It's a list of rituals and things that you have to go through to cleanse yourself and make yourself prepared and ready. But Christianity spells things a little different. It spells salvation done. D-O-N-E. Because when Jesus hung upon the cross, he spread his arms and he gave up his life and he said, it is finished. It is done. There is nothing left for you and I to do to obtain salvation, to obtain this free gift. It was done. And so there's, there's no rituals, there's no rules, but there is a relationship. You have to connect to Christ. And so as a result of the love that God shed abroad for us in His Son, we live a life of love. We, God loved us first, and so we love Him back. And then that love begins to spread in our life, and then we begin to love what God loves. And what does God love? He loves people. For God so loved the world that He sent. And so our love for Him begins to overflow to other people. And we begin to love them. We begin to serve them. It's part of what we say. Love God, love people, serve the world. It's a natural flow. It's what happens to us as we respond to the love that God has given for us. And so as a result, we want to reach people. And I, and I hope that you participate and embrace the life change that Jesus offers by reaching out to others, by owning your part, becoming a mature believer and saying, I am responsible for the people that God has put in my life. I hope this past Thanksgiving, for example, that you were able to reach out to somebody that was less fortunate. Maybe there's a family who couldn't afford having a Thanksgiving meal and you provided that for them. Or maybe you know somebody who, whose family is out of town and they have no means to get to their family. Or maybe they're even separated from their family because of fights or things that happen in all families. And you invited them to come over and have dinner with you. Maybe you did that. I hope that you did. I hope during this Christmas season that you will find people that are, that are hurting because this is a time that a lot of people hurt. It's the holidays, when they're, especially when they're disconnected. It's a very emotional time. The suicide rate goes through the roof during this time of year. And I hope that you are engaging in giving the love back to people that God has given to you. I hope that you will do that. Because this is a great season of giving and joy. But let me say this. Jesus did not come to earth to improve our morality and kindness by 15% for the last 40 days of the year. That is not why Jesus came. Jesus has called us to be ambassadors of his. That is a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week, 365-day-a-year job. He has called us to be the light for this generation, to be the shiny that we talked about last week for those that are lost and those that are broken. We are to show his love. And so the fact that Jesus walked through a doorway of heaven and entered earth shows us his love. So Christianity is not this moral code or religion. It is the worship of the person of Jesus Christ. Look at Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This is not of us. It is a free gift that we have been given. And so, based on that, we're going to jump right into uh, the verses this week, and we're going to talk 
about why Jesus came this week. And that, that verse or where we're going to look today is in Colossians 1, 12 through 14. If you need a Bible today, we would love to bless you with the Bible. If you'll just put your hand in the air, our service host will make sure that you get a Bible to take home with you and to own and to love and to cherish and to read, hopefully. But we are going to, but the verses will also be up here on the screen. And so we'll start at verse 12. It says, And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see, Aaron, there's an awful lot of big words in there that I don't understand. Great, just hold on. We're going to get to them. Okay, I promise. We'll, we'll break it down. We'll do it. <laughs> I'm going to say this word doorway a lot. And what you need to understand that the doorway is a place of transition, right? It is a place when you leave one room, you go through a doorway to enter another. You are leaving behind where you are as people enter from the foyer into the auditorium. They are leaving behind the comfort of the coffee and the comfort of the table and the, maybe even the comfort of the lights if you like bright lights. They're leaving one place and entering into another. They are going someplace. And so when Jesus departed the door of heaven and entered into our earthly space by means of being born a baby, he made our rescue possible. That's essentially what this verse is saying. And in this one short paragraph, we can see that there are four reasons why Jesus came through the door of heaven to earth. And these were written here to clarify to the people of Colossae the reasons why Jesus came from Christmas, or essentially Christmas from heaven's perspective for them because they were being forced into so many different perspectives. They needed the proper one, and that's why Paul even wrote this in the first place. And so just like the people of that day, what Paul wrote to them is applicable to us, and so we're going to look and see how it applies to us. The very first reason that Jesus came was to qualify you. Look at the verse again. It says, uh, verse 112, it says, In giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. What, what, what does that mean? What does the word qualify mean? Anybody here ever applied for a loan before? Either for a mortgage or for a car loan? They use this word, once you've gone through all the process, they're going to look into your life. They're going to look and see how long you've had a job. They're going to look and see how much money you make. They're going to look and see how much debt you currently have. They're going to look and see your credit history. Are you, are you faithful at paying back? Are you reliable? And they're going to make a decision. They're going to look at you and assess your life, your current decisions, past and current. And they're going to make a decision about you and say, we'll give you a loan. You are approved today. Right? And, and the wording that they use is important here. They say that you are qualified. Your life and everything in it, the summary of it, qualifies you for this loan. And so that terminology there is, is important. When you accepted Christ, the God of creation qualifies you. He approves you through Christ. He says, you are mine. You are qualified for that for uh, the, the opportunity to become a son and a daughter. It doesn't matter what you've done. Your qualifications are now found in Christ. Not our own. Not our own history. Not what we've done. But what he did. That done that I mentioned earlier. When he said it is finished, he qualified us. When we are found in Christ, we become qualified. And so he said to your mind... Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 says, But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, and thank God he is rich in mercy, 
made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And so we've been qualified. Even though we don't feel like we deserve it, we've been qualified. It's because of the grace of God, not because of what we've done. And God doesn't accept or call the qualified. You need to understand that everybody in this room was not qualified before you came to Christ. You were not. He doesn't call you or accept only the qualified. Those that he accepts and calls, he qualifies. It has nothing to do with you and everything to do with his desire to love you. And so Jesus left heaven and passed through the doorway into earth. He came to qualify you. The next thing Jesus came to do was he came to claim you. Look at the verse again, verse 1 and 12. He says, in giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Now there's a purpose here because that verse continues on. It says, who has qualified you, why? For you to share in the inheritance of his holy people of the kingdom of light. For you to share in an inheritance. He says, you are mine. You see, in Christ, the Bible says that we become joint heirs with him. That means everything that belongs to him, everything that is ascribed to him as a son of God, the only son of God, becomes ours. And that having nothing to do with us, having nothing to do with what we've done, we didn't earn it, we couldn't possibly earn it, we gain everything that is Christ's. We gain an inheritance We've been named that joint heir, God's son or God's daughter. And so this is incredible to me that all that Jesus has been given is now ours. It's like, it's like this. If you would go for a loan, and I'm sure this has never happened to any of you. You go for a loan and you're sitting there and you give all your, your information, your social security number. They pull all your information. They look at it and they say, you're approved. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, and they say, but don't you know my history? Didn't you look at all my junk? Yeah, we saw that. We're actually approving your loan based on that guy over there. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go ahead and give you this because of his credit. His credit's good. But, but I don't know that dude. Well, that, that's okay. His is good. You go hang out with that guy. But, but this is the mystery of what's happening. Our qualifications or being qualified to be sons and daughters of God comes not from us. It comes from Christ alone. And when we are in him, we gain so much more. Think about this. Imagine you're sitting at home, and it's this time of year, and you're going through your mail. And you already know what's there. There's bills. There's, there's uh, advertisements. Hey, come to our Christmas Eve service. To which you respond, no way, I'm going to simple churches. 7 o'clock. <clears throat> plug, plug. And so, but you find this letter, it's from an attorney's office. You're like, whoa, I don't know about you, but I always freak out a little bit, you know. Some of them are really tricky. They're not really attorney's offices, you know. They're like a car dealership trying to sell you a car. But, but you always open them, and you look inside, and you read, hey, you, had a, you need to be here on this date at this time because there's going to be the reading of a will. And you've been named in this will, and you need to come and find out what you're getting. Now, how many of you, after reading that, would make sure that you cleared your calendar to be there at that date and at that time to find out what it is that you had gotten? And it's a distant relative that has passed away and they've named you and they want you to receive something. And depending on what you inherit, your life may never be the same, right? Because, I mean, like some kind of money, like that's, that'll change your life. Certain kind of money, like, you know, a couple thousand dollars, like maybe that'll change your life. But like, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, 
buddy, the quality of your life just changed. Right? All right. <laughs> See, I'm with you. <laughs> All right. Sign me up. But you're going to receive this from them. Notice that, that, that an inheritance is not something you receive because of something that you've done. An inheritance is something you receive because of the grace of the person who's giving it to you. They chose you to leave you something. Ephesians 1, 13-14 says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, the moment of belief here, folks. When you believed, you were marked in Him. Who's the Him? It's Christ. With a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Look, God has claimed us as heirs of his kingdom. We are going to inherit his riches in Christ. And this is another reason that Jesus came to earth, to claim us and make us an heir of his kingdom. The third reason Jesus came, he came to rescue you. Jesus came to rescue you. Colossians 1.13 says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. You say, well, rescue me. Great. Rescue me from what? From, from darkness. Not just from darkness, but from the dominion of darkness. The oppression of darkness. The world of darkness. Look, there are things that people will do in the darkness that they will not do in the light. And Satan is the prince of darkness. Jesus came to rescue you from the prince of darkness. Jude 1.23 says, Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy, mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Look, snatching them from the fire is a direct reference to pulling people from hell. From pulling people from hell. From those who are simply going the wrong way, who are headed on, a, on their way towards hell. And look, we've all taken the wrong way at some point in our lives. And if somebody hadn't stepped up to snatch us from the fire to say, hey, listen, you're going the wrong way. The path that you're walking on leads to destruction. And we, in turn, have a responsibility. There is nothing greater than when the grace of God finds us and turns us around, but we have to be the ones snatching people from the fire. We have that responsibility. Are we doing that? Are we aware or are we even willing to say, hey, look out. If somebody was walking in the street and a bus was headed towards them, I guarantee you, you would jump out and say, look out! You may even risk your life for them. You may try to push them or pull them out of the way. And yet, when we see people walking towards destruction in their own lives, are we willing to say, hey, you're headed down a path that doesn't lead where you think it's going to lead. There is more. And we have a call to do that. We must prayerfully pursue them, regardless of where they may be spiritually. We must pursue them. Are there people within your sphere of influence whom God has planted you and placed you there to come alongside them and to point them to Jesus? Are there people in your life right now, in your own home, at your job, in your community, your neighborhood? To be honest, in this season is a time of when people's spiritual antennas are up. They are more receptive during this time of year to hear about Christ than any other time of year. Than any other time. It's a truth. You have an incredible opportunity 
to begin to speak to, to people about Jesus right now. And they will be receptive to having those kind of conversations. And we have to take advantage of this time. No matter what kind of people they are, whether they're rebellious sinners, self-righteous sinners, or maybe they're even good people who just don't know Jesus. This is your opportunity. Because they don't, if they don't know Jesus, they lack the fulfillment and the completion that comes through the personal relationship with Him. And so to think that you might have a hand in being a light or the shiny to lead them out of the darkness, to snatch them from the fire. To think about that gives me chills. To think about that leads me to prayer. And you can't be a judge of people. You don't know what kind of darkness they're going through. Amen? You have no idea. It isn't always non-Christians that need saved from the darkness. I've known Christians, and I, I personally was a Christian who was bound for years by addiction. You don't know what somebody's going through. You don't know the personal pain that they are dealing with. You don't know what they need set free from. But you know that you can be a light in their life. And they can be set free from that darkness. Look, I shared my, my testimony once. I was asked to come and share it. And I spoke about bitterness. I spoke about the, the pornography addiction. I spoke about the years and where of, of the damage that all that took me through. And at the end of that service, we, I had people come up and say, I've never committed my life to Christ. And I want to do that today. And then I had plenty of Christians come up and say, I've been serving Jesus for years, and I've been angry, I've been bitter, I've been hurt. But I'm ready to let that go. I want, I want redemption. I want to be restored. You never know who you're sitting with. Darkness affects us all in some way, shape, or form. And we are called, Jesus called to rescue us from the darkness, and we are called in response, of course, to rescue each other. James 5.16, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another. Why? So that you can be restored. That's what we're supposed to be for each other as well. The amazing thing, and I've told this before about that story the day that I shared my testimony at that church, there was a guy who wasn't even there. He was listening to the podcast of it. And he said that in that moment, God set him free. He had bought a gun and bullets and was going to end his life. And God had set him free from the suicidal thoughts that were plaguing his life, that is some darkness. You don't know what people are going through. And so sometimes you say, well, I don't have the words. I don't know what to say. Look, sharing your story or sharing your light, sharing God's light is as simple, excuse me, as telling your story. What was your life like before Christ? When did you turn to him and why? And what does your life look like now? If you can tell your story, you can lead somebody to Jesus. You can lead somebody to Jesus and snatch them from the fire. Because that is why Jesus came, to rescue people. The last reason Jesus came, he came to redeem you. Colossians 1.14 says, In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's where this verse, this, this section of scripture wraps up. When someone is redeemed, they are given worth. They are given value. And redemption is the leading motivation that we see for Jesus. Yes, he came to qualify us. Yes, he came to claim us. Yes, he came to rescue us. But he wants to see us redeemed. In other words, something that has no value can, again, have value. And that's us. That was us before him. In Hebrews, it reminds us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. But in our minds, we wouldn't think that it would be the shedding of innocent blood, right? We say, yeah, that was me. I did it. I deserve the punishment for that. It's counterintuitive for us to think that there would be a, a child that would be born 
live a life and die for me. Live a perfect life and die for me. It's counterintuitive. We don't think that that's right. We say, no, that's, that's not right. We're rejecting the Christmas story. We're rejecting it's what it was really all about. We say, don't let that guy die for me. He doesn't deserve it. We should make that guy king. We should follow that guy. We should follow his leading. Don't let him die for me. But the Bible teaches us that it is through Jesus' perfect sacrifice that all of our imperfections can be paid for. Romans 5, 7 through 8 says, Very rarely will anyone die for, his, for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus forgives and redeems. He gives us a fresh slate, a clean start. And do you understand redemption? It takes who you are, all of you, your past, your choices, your mistakes, your successes, your failures. It takes your full life summary. And Jesus says, I'll take that. I'll have them. I'll use that for my glory. I'll use their story and their pain that they've gone through to bless somebody else. I'll use their darkness to be a light for someone else. He redeems us. See, look, we can take something. There's three ways to receive something. We can accept it. We say, hey, yeah, that's good for me. That's beneficial for me. I would accept it like a piece of pumpkin pie with some whipped cream, some Cool Whip being specifically. That is good. I will accept that. Now, a hamburger slathered with mayonnaise, we will say, no, I will reject that. It's me personally. So we can accept or we can reject. We can say, one thing is no good for me, the other thing is wonderful for me. But the third thing that we can do, we can look at the thing that is rejected. And we can say, I can use that for a purpose. That thing that has been rejected, we can redeem. And that's what Jesus does for us. That is redemption. That is what he came for. We can see things that are unpleasant in its current state and yet see value in it, purpose. We can take something that was meant to be rejected, accepted, assigning it worth in our lives. Not as it is, but as it can be. Look, when you walk out into this foyer, I'll give you a perfect example of redemption. Do you know what's hanging on our walls? Pallet wood. Pallet wood. Something that is tossed behind a building something that is when its purpose is done when somebody has used it for what they wanted for it generally gets discarded tossed to the side used behind buildings used to carry a load and that's it discarded look behind our building and you'll see pallet wood pallets just tossed by well until people took them but we took pallets and we cut them down and we cleaned them up and we hung them on our wall and now they have a new beautiful purpose. Do you know how many people that wood has inspired? They go, man, I want to do that. And you see, Aaron, you're just talking about decoration and Pinterest. Yeah, yeah, but go with me here. We took something that had no purpose anymore and gave it value. It was redeemed. Something I could look at and say, I've got no use for pallet in my life. Ah, this is pallet wood too. And isn't this beautiful? Don't we have an incredible creative director? He's amazing. Yes, man crush, I get it. But this is redemption. A price is paid for us to be redeemed, and we were given Jesus' righteousness. 
what he has earned, we were given new purpose, a new life. You see, our righteousness is described as filthy rags in the Bible, the best that we can do. Do you guys know what that refers to? And I don't mean to be crass, and I'm not trying to be. It's discarded feminine products. That's what that's referring to. It says that our righteousness, the best that we can do is is that. And yet Jesus offers us his righteousness. And we can accept that and allow that to be part of our life. And so we are redeemed. We are redeemed through that. And Paul is saying that Jesus came so that you could be redeemed through the blood of the Lamb. And when someone is redeemed, they are given this value and this worth that they did not have before. In John 1, it says that Jesus came. The Word was made flesh, and He dwelt among us. It means He built a home. He hung out with us. He spent time with us. He understood us. He walked through the doorway of heaven, came to earth to be born, to live and die, and only to rise again. Why? To qualify you. So that you could be claimed for an inheritance. So that you could be rescued from the darkness. And that your life could be redeemed and given purpose. That's why Jesus came. From heaven's perspective, that's what it was all about. It was not so that we can give gifts to each other on December 25th. Jesus came for something, a picture that was so much bigger than that. I'd like to close with a story that I recently heard about a a family out west. It's a small family, wife, husband, and two kids. And the wife became overwhelmed in her duties at home. She became overwhelmed in her job. All the things that the family was connected with, she, she burnt out. And while her husband was at work, she packed up her things, and while he slept that night, she secretly slipped off into the night. She left him a note and said, I can't take it anymore, i got to go. And she was gone. And when the husband woke the next day, he read the note, and out of respect for her, understanding her, and loving her enough, he said, I'll let her run, but he called her. He said, please come home. I love you. We need you. Please come back. And the wife answered the phone faithfully every day for a week and listened to him as he begged her to come home. And yet she stayed where she was. And after the first week, the husband who was just wanted to know where she was, was she safe, was she okay, hires a private detective. And still every day while he's waiting to find out where she is, he's calling her every day, we love you, we need you, please come home. And every day she refuses. Well, the detective finds her. It's a few weeks before Christmas or a few days before Christmas at this point. And the husband headed off and found her a few cities away where the detective said she would be. In a little hotel on the outskirts of town. And he knocks on the door and she opens the door and her face lights up. And he says the same thing he's been saying to her all along. We love you. We need you. Please come home. She grabbed her things and she went home. And the family had Christmas together. A week later, the tree is put up and the husband is still confused. He doesn't understand why after weeks of calling her at daily, telling her, we love you, we need you, please come home. Why didn't you come home? So he asks her. She says, I heard what you said. I heard you tell me you love me. I heard you tell me you needed me. I heard you say, please come home. But those were just words. Until you came. Until you came. 2,000 years ago, 
The God of this universe came. He left heaven and came through the doorway and entered earth. Why? Why did he set aside his power to rescue you and redeem you? And rather than just hearing that God loves you, rather than just hearing that he wants you, and that he wants you to be in heaven, he came to show you that he loved you. Because you don't go that far. You don't travel that far and not mean it. You don't give up that much and not mean it. Because Jesus loves you. And he wants to have a relationship with you. For unto you this day, in the city of David, is born a Savior. He is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. You know, today you may say, Aaron, I'm, I'm, I'm one of these people. I, I don't feel qualified. My history has left me exempt. I don't belong. The choices that I have made have left me far from God, far from the people I love, and I do not belong there. I do not deserve to belong there. But let me tell you something. Jesus paid the price so that you could be qualified to be found among his people, to have all that he offers for you. He came to claim you, to give you that which you have never had before, that which you could not earn yourself, that which you could not gain by anything that you could do on your own, to give you his love, to give you his joy. Some of you are here today and you say, I feel lost. I need rescued. I'm tangled in my sin. Or I'm tangled in my circumstance that others have put me in. Or I'm broken because of how I grew up. Your past has you bound. And today you want to be free. And I'm here to tell you to declare in your ears that you can be free today in Christ. There's others of you who say, I have no purpose I have no worth, no hope, but I'm here to tell you today that Jesus looks at you and says, I'll take them. I'll take you. I'll have you. In me, you are qualified. In me, you are worthy. In me, you have purpose. And he says, I am here to take you today. So if you are here today and you want to give your life to Christ, I don't care if you've done it a hundred times or if this is the first time that you are hearing about his intense love for you. But if that's you, every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm not trying to embarrass you. If that's you, would you slip your hand up and let me know, Aaron, I'm here today to say yes to Jesus. I want to say yes to him. I want to know that I am qualified. I want to know that I am redeemed. Thank you for those hands and that honesty. I appreciate that. Look, we're going to pray a prayer that if you'll just pray it in your heart and you mean it, you can have these things today. Jesus, I love you. I believe that you are the Son of God, that you came to this earth and died and rose again for me. That Jesus, if you'll show me how to live for you, I'll spend my life doing just that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Come on, church. Can we give God a hand for what he's doing in this place today? And in our hearts. Today is a new beginning for you. It's a new opportunity for you. And I would love to connect with you to, to shake your hand to say, hey, and hear your story and hear how God is working in your life.
Let's make sure we do that. I'll be outside.